You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you so much for your kindness, for your giving, and for just being here today. It's good to be with you, and I'm glad that you've chosen to worship with us. If you're a guest, you're new here, my name is Bill, <clears throat> Pastor Bill, and I'm just glad to be able to uh, share this time that we have together. If you've not downloaded the Riverside app yet, I want to encourage you to do that. It has all the information you need to know about the church in there. It also has the message notes for today's message. If you're listening on the podcast, you can also get the message if you, the message notes in there. So thank you so much. Again, we are in a year-long theme called All In, and the idea there is that God has gone all in for us, and as a response to that, we get to go all in for God. That's why the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, and all your strength. It comes from the the, the, the scripture, the Shema in Deuteronomy. So that's the theme verse there. But we do that simply as a response to God's love for us. We get to go all in for God. And, and so today we're following up with a new sermon series that, that is talking about how, well, God has gone all in even for me, even me. Because you see, Pastor Bill, I, I just have a hard time believing that God has gone all in for me because you just don't know me, Pastor. You don't know my story. You see me, but you don't know what's inside of me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. How can a God who is all-knowing, if there is such a God, if he knew everything there was to know about me, he would never, ever welcome me, never love me. And so this month, we are hitting that thought very strongly as we look at different scriptures, different people in the Bible that seemingly were in that state, and yet God loved even them as Jesus showed us. And as we realize that, we see that even me, no one is beyond God's reach. All who call in the name of the Lord will be saved, the scripture says. Well, how do we know that? Because Jesus let us know. You see, Jesus is God's way of letting us truly know what God is like. Everybody has an idea what God is like. I mean, every human being on earth, every religion on earth has a concept of what God is like. Everybody is trying to understand what's the true meaning of life, what God is like. And so all religions are an attempt to try to discover what God is really like. In Jesus, we find God extending to us the greatest picture of what God is really like. So if you want to know what Christianity believes, look at Jesus. In fact, I encourage you to look at Jesus more than you look at other Christians because we're trying to aspire to Jesus and we fall short very, very far sometimes. So we're looking at stories of people who thought that they were beyond God's loving reach. And today, we're going to look at a story that might be familiar with many of you. It might be new to some of you. It's in the Gospel of Luke. One of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture is Luke chapter 15. And let me just set the scene for you because you got to get this if you understand the meaning of this chapter. Luke chapter 15, um, Jesus is hanging around with these sinners and tax collectors. These are the people that nobody else liked. They, in fact, discarded them. In fact, they probably felt like a guy that, that I ran into this week. <clears throat> I was at a grocery store community market to be specific. 
and uh, standing in line checking out. And there's this guy that's standing there and he must be waiting for somebody that's in line behind me. And he's, you know, just looking at me and I'm kind of glancing at him and I'm like, you know, feeling a little strange. Why? And so I look at him and he says to me, I know you from somewhere. I, how, how do I know you? He asked me that question and I didn't know who he was. So I just said, well, I pastor a church in Oakmont. And he said, oh no, I would never know you from there. And so here's a person that feels obviously like maybe he could not darken the doors of a church because he's not good enough. Those people would not like even me if they knew me. Those were the kind of people that were hanging around Jesus. And Jesus welcomed them, the tax collectors and sinners, to, to uh, in that culture, basically were all the outsiders, the down and outers. Because you had another group of people that were there also, and these were the religious people, the crowd, the, you know, the spiritual types, those people. And they're looking at Jesus, and it says here in Luke chapter 15, they, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the spiritual crowd, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In other words, he's hanging around those people so Jesus, as only Jesus can do, tells them some stories. And it says, he began by telling them this parable. And so in Luke chapter 15, you have three brief stories, back to back to back. Each one of the stories is the same, except for the third one. There's a little twist to it. And so each one of them is about lost things. The first one is about a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, one of them strays, what does he do? He leaves the 99, he searches high and low, and when he finds the one, he brings it home, and he has a great celebration. The next story is about a, a woman who lost her most precious coin, and it was an inheritance that she had, and she searched high and low until she could find that coin, and then when she does, she invites all the neighbors and friends over. My coin that was lost is found. Let's have a big celebration. The third story is about a father who lost a son. And this son leaves, but when he comes home, the father has a big celebration, has a big party. But the third story has another added element. And this is where Jesus is pointing the finger, holding the mirror up to the religious types and saying, do you see yourself in this story? Because you see, the parables of Jesus, the stories of Jesus are like magic mirrors that Jesus holds up to us so we can see what's on the inside of us, what's underneath the surface that we see in a, in a, in a literal mirror. Jesus holds the parables up, and in these stories, he says, do you see yourself? And so <clears throat> I want to read the story, and I want to ask you the question, where do you see yourself in this story? And Jesus begins by saying, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger son said to the father, Dad, I want my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Well, the younger son, you know, 
It's basically, I want you to write your will now, and I want half of everything you have. But I don't want to wait till you're dead to get it. <laughs> Give it to me now, Dad. And so not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, took all that the father had given him, and he set off for a far-off country, a distant country. And there, what did he do? He blew it squandered it on wild living. And after he did that, guess what? There was a big recession, famine in the land, and he had to get a real job. Unbelievable, right? And so he was in need. He was getting hungry. And, and so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that far-off country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. You gotta get that. Jewish boy feeding pigs, right? You understand that. The unclean animal, he has to take care of the unclean animals. And he got so low, so hungry, that he was even wanting to fill his stomach with the things that he was feeding the pigs. But no one gave him anything. Nobody cared about him in the far off country. And then it says, when he came to his senses, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and yet here I am starving to death. And I will set out, I will go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer even worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. I love this picture. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be even called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, go, get my best robe and put it on him. Because obviously he was probably half naked, if not fully naked. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. He's barefoot, he's so poor. Bring the fattened calf. Let's kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Woo, great story. This is where the story would have ended if it perfectly matched the other two stories about the sheep and the coin. But Jesus went on to tell these Pharisees the rest of the story. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. And when he came into the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called out to one of his servants and he said, what's going on? And the servant said, hey, your brother, remember your lousy brother, that brother that left home? He's back home and your dad has killed the fat calf and he's having a big party. And the older brother became steamed. He became angry and he said, I am not going into that party. 
And so what did his father do? He went out to him and he pleaded with him. But he said to his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders and yet you didn't even give me a young goat to have a party with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? In other words, it's just not right. It's not fair. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was lost, was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. Let's pray real quickly. God, by the power of your spirit, I invite you to hold this mirror up to me this morning and hold that mirror up to all of us that we may see ourselves in this story. But more importantly than that, may we see the heart of God that it may also become ours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, the most profound lessons in life are not the complicated ones. They're the simple ones. But sometimes the simple ones are the hardest to really grasp and to really live out and to follow. They might be a simple story, but they're a profound lesson. And so I want to take a look at these characters in the story and what's the lesson that we get from each of them. And for the first son that left and went off to Vegas and lost everything, I think the thing that we need to get from this is, as Dorothy was fond of saying, there's no place like home, right? There's no place like home with the father. There's no place like home. This prodigal son thought that he had a better plan for his life than the plan that the father had for him. How many of us feel like that? We've gone through that. God, I know you have a plan for my life, but I think mine's going to be a little more fun than yours, right? Mine, come on, God. I think uh, I, I like you. You're good. You give me a lot of great things. But I just want more fun. And that's what this person had. The bells, the bottles, the bodies were out there. And they were calling this young son. And he said, I think I just got to go. I got to be there. He couldn't wait. Vegas was calling and he went off to the far off country. You know what I find amazing in this story? Not that he went off because so many of us do. We all hear the voices calling us. We're all given into temptation. What I find amazing is that the father let him go. Wow. He let him go. And so he went because God gives all of us free will. He tasted because God allows us to make choices. Because God isn't a controlling God. God isn't a God that wants to hold you back. He wants to give you what's best for you. But in that freedom of choice he gives you, you have the choice to take what's not good for you. So anyhow, he, he, he let him go and, and, and he went off and... Um, and, and he tasted, and he swallowed, and he digested. But what really happened was he got swallowed up. The far-off country, 
ended up eating him alive and excreting him on the dung pile of life. You know what I think, however? He was the lucky one. What? How was he lucky? Because he came to his senses. You see, the younger one lost his way, but he remembered from where he came. He knew what he lost. And he said, I need to go back. And so he turned around and he headed home. And if you ever need a picture of what repentance is, that's the picture of repentance. When you're headed in one direction and you realize that this isn't the way and you turn around and you go back the right way. And I don't know where you are here today and maybe you're here and everything is hunky-dory for you, but maybe you're here and for some reason you're feeling like, man, I know that people might not know, but I'm pretty far from God right now. And today is a great day for you to turn around and come back home. It's a great day for you to turn around and come back home because there's no place like home. Well, the other character is the older brother. And I think the lesson that Jesus wanted the Pharisees to get here, as well as those of us who have Pharisaical tendencies, is there's no room for resentment. You see, the obedient older son was too angry to join the party. He was resentful. He was the good son. He stuck around. He did the dutiful thing. He didn't get to experience Vegas, though he wished he could have. He was staying around because he knew that if he stuck around, all the rest was going to be his. And that was his motive for sticking around because he wanted more from the father. You see, his sense of justice was shattered. His younger brother deserved punishment, not forgiveness. He, he deserved, when he came back home, for the father to, to whip him, to, to, to punish him, to, to, to reap abuse on him. And, and, and so this older brother, in his self-righteous anger, it was all about, you think, it was a sense of justice, but it was really more about his own selfish desires. He wanted to keep it. You see, the older son lost his heart. The younger son lost his stuff. The older son lost his heart because he forgot from whom he came. He forgot the heart of his father. And, 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 it, and, and it was the heart of the father was for both those who lose their way and those who lose their hearts. So, both sons in the story are outside of the heart of God and only one finds their way back home. The other one's home, but he's left it in his heart. So the younger brother typically is a story of the person who doesn't love the father. They love the father's stuff. They want the father's money. The person who just wants to take whatever life gives them and go spend it on themselves and use up whatever they have for momentary pleasure, for selfish gains, for status, for whatever, for fun, if you want to call it that. The elder brother, he doesn't really love the father either, though he stays home. When the father gives the big feast to welcome the younger brother, it's one of the greatest days in the father's life. 
but the elder brother knows it and he still doesn't give a rip. He won't go in. He's upset that his father is spending money on something that he considers is wasteful. In other words, the elder brother is just like the younger brother in that he loves the father's stuff. He loves the father's things. But he doesn't want to be generous with it. That's the mirror that Jesus is holding up to those Pharisees. You know, you say you love God, but if you love God and you hate these people, the love of God is not in you, the scripture says elsewhere. And so we, as believers, many of us in this room, and some are just sort of on the edge, maybe seeking and but it's easy to fall into the elder brother role here. And we're in it because we want to get the blessings of God. And our religion in going to church is just to continue to get the blessings of God. We want eternal life after we die. We want to know that if we die, we go to heaven. So I better go to church. I better put a little bit in the offering every now and then to ease my conscience. Maybe I'll even volunteer and serve somewhere to make myself look good because I want more from God for myself. That's the elder brother's heart. But it's not like I really love what God loves. I'm just doing this to get, my, to get what I want from God. And so brings us to the third thing that I want to make sure we get this morning, and that's this. There, there's no place like home. There's no room for resentment, but there's no love like God's love. The word prodigal, we apply it to the son because he wasted all his wealth. But the word prodigal really literally means spendthrift. It means extravagant. It means reckless to the point of, uh, 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 or extravagant to the point of recklessness. And Really, in the story, I think the person who was most extravagant was God, was the father. Because he was so extravagant with his, with his love for both of his sons. He recklessly gave the one son his inheritance and generously welcomed him back home. And he threw a great party and he reminded the son that stayed home, the good son, that everything he had was still his. And so as we hold this mirror up, as Jesus holds that mirror up for us, where do you see yourself in the story? Where do you see yourself in the story? I've asked Buffy Heise. It's good to hear stories. We see people week after week. We know people. But so often, everybody has a story, and we don't know their story. And so I've asked Buffy if she'd be courageous enough and willing enough to share her story. So Buffy, would you come on up here, please? Have a seat. And I want to ask you a question. Who in this story <laughs> do you see yourself? Hi. Is this one? Yeah. Um, I am the prodigal. Yeah. I grew up in a uh, Christian home, uh, loving parents, um, normal life, you know, struggles and things, but... Uh, we went to church, and I learned uh, the songs and the liturgy, and I did what I was supposed to do. 
Um, and, uh, but, you know, as you grow up and get a little bit older and every uh, young person starts to feel their own uh, sense of, of decision-making and wants to make their own choices, and uh, so you, you test a little bit of that when you're home, and that's what I was doing. I think we all do that. Um, and you start to think, well, I, I can make my own choices, and I know what's good for me. I'm not really like my parents, so. Uh, and I was mildly rebellious, but nothing to, you know, I was still under my parents' roof, and I did what I was supposed to do. But uh, I knew, boy, when that time come and I could leave home, I was going to live my own life. I was going to make my own choices. And so the time came for me to leave home, and that's what I did. Now, I didn't, I didn't immediately disregard what I was taught, um, but I started making choices that I thought, well, I know mom and dad wouldn't be happy. So um, I started making those choices, and little by little, it just continued on that, that path. Um, I think people were a big influence. I think we all have the desire to be loved and accepted. And when you're young and you head out, you look for a group. And so I was looking for the group that, that uh, would accept me and that looked like fun, that looked like something I wanted to do. And so that's, that's the direction I went. And some of the things were questionable, and I knew that. But I thought, well, I don't see any consequences happening. And uh, they're having fun, and I'll get in there. And so, as I said, little by little, the choices uh, just started to become easier and easier. If I thought I was crossing a line, I'd think, well, you know, I, I won't do that again. But, you know, the lines get blurry pretty quickly. And um, so, and, and the choices get easier, and that's, that's what happened. And uh, it was easy to be with people that were like that because they wanted friends. They, they didn't want to do the things they were doing alone. And so that's, that's what I was doing, and it was easy. Come on, you know, the elbow and buddy. And, and uh, it just, it was a slow process. I think um, most of you probably know the analogy of the frog in the, in the pot of cold water, and when you turn the heat on, the frog doesn't really know that it's getting hotter, and that's what happened, so... Um, and I think I did a fair amount of rationalizing, which um, also makes it very easy to make those choices. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're pretty low, you know, and you search around for those friends that, uh, that you thought were there and that could give you a little pick-me-up, and um, they're not there, you know. Uh, the fun, adventuresome person that you were and you thought, well, I'll do a little drinking and then you, I, I shouldn't say you, I started with the drinking and started with the drugs and sex and, you know, it, it was all free game by that time. It was just, there were, there were no rules, there were no lines and it was just easy to make those choices and it was just a, it was a way of life. And it was just the path that I took. And uh, when you're at the lowest point and you're looking for the friends to reach out to support you, and they're not there. It's a, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And in fact, some of those that would be right there next to you are now condemning you. And it just got to the point where I, I lost everything. 
Sorry. Um, you lose your friends. You lose your job. You lose your... I lost my husband, my home, you know, everything. And um, because it's so slow, it took about 10 years to get to the point where I was just at the bottom. And uh, I had nothing left. It was like a, a body of skin and bones on the floor with barely a breath left. And I, I just... Um, was groaning in pain, you know, for, for days and just crying and not even necessarily had the strength to reach out uh, for anything. But eventually you realize um, where you are. And I believe, you know, the, the Lord broke my heart. At that point, his, his small voice that had, had been there had grown quiet. And I stopped listening. And at that point, I, I was just empty. And so I know that's when he came. At the time, I didn't know it. At the time, I was just, just breathing, barely. Um, but I know he was there. And I know he broke my heart because he, he showed me the weight of what I had done and where I was. And uh, so I just cried out to him. And of course I thought, you know, why would he even listen? I'm the one that walked away from him. I grew up knowing all this stuff. Why would he even pay attention to me? Um, but he must have, he must have. And I look back and at the time I didn't think it, but he must have been there. And so when I, you know, after days or a week or so, I mustered up enough energy and enough courage to to open the Bible. And that was hard because, you know, it's, it, it was a book of right and wrongs. And I didn't need to open it to know where I stood. But I got in there and I knew enough of the Bible growing up to know that, that there was a man named David who cried out. And so I just searched the Psalms for some of those, some of those Psalms that he wrote crying out. And, you know, I just started reading them. I wasn't even listening. I wasn't even paying attention to them, but I just started reading them over and over again, thinking, well, if God heard him and I say that he'll hear me. And eventually it, 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 gave me peace. It was his peace. I know that now. It was his peace that he gave me to just continue. And then that still small voice kept urging me. And, you know, the it was a 10-year walk to the bottom, but it, it's, it's a continual walk out. And it took about 15 years, I'd say, to get to the point where I felt like I was forgiven. And you know he forgives us, but it's hard to forgive yourself. You walk into church, as I did a year after 
the bottom and I, I wanted to get back in. By that time I had been listening to the Lord and reading scripture, but just not, just not able. And I walked through the door and, um, you know, you go to church or I went to church for a while and, and, uh, and then I'd fall again. I'd do something again that, that I knew wasn't right. And I'd think, oh, you know, I can't go there. I can't call myself a Christian, you know. And after a series of those particular times and more scripture and just reading the word and understanding them, that, that that's, not, that's not what should keep me from coming. That's not what determines people in the church. The fact that, that um, we're all broken, you know. And I think there was a point to where when I could forgive myself is when it, it just released me of all that baggage. And is that the point where you felt like you were home finally? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do. Because there was always that condemning spirit, the, the guilt and the weight and the embarrassment. And it was finally when... Uh, I could forgive myself as much as God had forgiven me, which he had the minute I asked. But I, I didn't, I couldn't fathom that, you know? And I think the, the important things that I see now is that the minute I turned towards God, he was there. Mm. Mm. He, what if somebody is sitting here this morning and they are identifying with your story? What do you want them to know? He's right there. He's, sorry. He's just waiting for you to turn towards him. That's, that's all it takes. He's never left you. But he's not going to force you. He wants you to turn towards him. And the minute you do, he's just waiting with open arms. And the other thing that I would say is that it's never too late, ever. No matter how far you've gotten away, it's never too late. Amen. Thank you, Buffy. Thank you for sharing this story. one thing to read a story that Jesus told thousands of years ago. It's another thing to hear a story that's being told in our midst. Your life is a story that's being told. And I wonder if you're here this morning and you're saying, that's why I came to church today. It's a good day. It's a good day to come home to Jesus. This is what I want you to see in this parable. It cost the father to bring the son home. How do, how, what do you mean by that? This is a man that had two sons, therefore he had two heirs. He, he divided the estate, gave it all away, to the, half of it to the first son. And then it was lost. So everything that was left Every robe, every ring, every fattened calf, it actually belonged to the elder brother. 
And there was no way for this father to bring the younger son home except at the expense of the elder brother. That's why the elder brother was so indignant. Atonement, being getting right with God, is that's a theological term that talks about being right with God, was going to be costly, and the elder brother was mad about that. Because in that day, the older son's job was to hold the family together. A true elder brother would have been just as happy as the father when his younger brother came home. He would have he would have been like the shepherd. He would have been like the woman who found the coin, the shepherd who found the sheep. He would have gone in and he would have celebrated because his brother was lost and now he's found, was dead and now he's alive. But here's the thing. The younger brother didn't have a true elder brother. He had a Pharisee. He had a Pharisee. The mirror Jesus held up to the Pharisees is you need to be the elder brother that welcomes these people home. I'm going to ask the band to come up and I'm going to ask the servers to prepare for communion. Do you want to hear the good news? We have an elder brother and his name is Jesus. We have an elder brother that was willing to pay the price for us to know what the heart of God was really like. We have an elder brother who will seek and search and do all that it takes to find us when we stray, when we go our own ways. We have that elder brother in Jesus who left heaven and came to earth, who took off all his divinity and emptied himself, the scripture says, so that he would humble himself and become obedient even obedient to the Father to the point of death because he knew the heart of the Father and he wanted the prodigal children to know the heart of the Father and was willing to go to every length to let his prodigal children know. We have an elder brother and his name is Jesus. You see, prodigal son came home, the older father took off his robe or he gave his best robe and put it on the child. Jesus took off his righteousness and gives it to us. He clothes us in the love of God, the righteousness of God. We can be clothed in the father's robe because Christ was stripped naked on a cross and we can drink the cup of joy because Jesus drank the cup of suffering. And when you're moved to the depths after you've done this deep level of repentance, like we've heard Buffy talk about, like this younger son, and you see what it truly costs the elder brother to bring you home, it humbles you, but it, but it sets you free from your self-loathing. But it also humbles you from your self-righteousness. And so what do we do here this morning? The mirror is being held up to you. Who do you see on the inside? Do you see the younger brother who needs to come home to Jesus? Maybe you've had those spurts and stops, those, those attempts, and you fail, and you feel like you're still on your way back home. Today's a great day to take a big step forward. 
and hear and feel the love of God. Maybe that's what you see in this story. Maybe as you see this story, the mirror to you is, man, I'm a lot like that older brother. I'm still just wanting stuff from God and I'm full of myself. Come to church, do all the right stuff, do all the right things, but my heart is not full of compassion for the lost. My heart is not full of compassion for people that are unlike me, that are out there. So it's all about me getting blessed from God. That's a Pharisee. That's a Pharisee. Both sons needed to come home to the heart of the Father. We can do that right now. Because you see, communion is the invitation to take Jesus in. It's the, it's the invitation for Jesus to come into that inside and wash us and clean us, to leave those self-loathing or self-righteous feelings or thoughts outside. Because when we take Jesus in, it has to fill us with the love and compassion of God. And that's transformative. And so if you want that, if you believe that, if you want that in your life, then I invite you to receive the elements as they're distributed right now. And as we sing a song, let those elements speak to you because Jesus wants you to come home today. He wants you to come into the party. We talk about celebrating communion. How can, how can you celebrate a crucifixion? Because it's the invitation to get right with God. And that's the party that he wants us to enter into. After we all receive, I've asked if Bridget Huffman would come and lead us through communion this morning. Let's worship together as the elements are distributed. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.